Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the 15th chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 3, and the second half of verse 11 through verse 32. And this can be found on page 78 in the New Testament section of your pew Bible. Listen to the word of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then his father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
One New Testament commentator stated, the parable of the prodigal son always tempts preachers to do anything and everything they can to find a fresh or novel approach to this well-worn tale. But this parable is a little like your grandmother's classic recipe for chocolate chip cookies. At some point, you might try to tweak it to freshen it up a bit. But when your kids bite into the resulting cookies, they usually end up saying, why did you mess with it? We like the cookies better the way they were. Anybody remember New Coke? So we can mess with this story and try to preach it backwards, sideways, from the father's point of view, from the older brother's point of view, from the pig's point of view. You could even do what one well-known writer once suggested, which was to tell it from the fatted calf's point of view. But when all is said and done, we still got the same story that Jesus told to make a very basic gospel point. Actually, here we have three yoke stories of lost and found and joy, though I have skipped over the first two this morning. Most experts on Luke agree that Jesus' triplet of stories here should really be read as a unit, but not today. Of the three, the parable of the lost coin is the one that seems the most out of place. The lost sheep and the lost son were both in peril for their lives, but the coin was just lost and in no danger per se. Can a coin ever be in danger? Still, Jesus is hammering home a central point, so vital that he tells not one story, but three. As New Testament professor Jeffrey Wema notes, all three stories end the same way, with rejoicing. The foil of all that jubilation is the sourpuss Pharisees whose grumbling indicates their ongoing disdain for Jesus. So keeping in mind the story of the prodigal son is just one part of a larger unit, let's look at this parable. Though often called the prodigal son, in the end it is the father who is the truly prodigal one in the sense of lavishing grace and mercy and love on an undeserving child. The son's prodigality, such as it was, focused on himself and on living the high life. His prodigality was one of dissipation and a draining away of life's vitality and goodness. The father's prodigality went the other way, thickening life, restoring a lost goodness, and ensuring a good future. Well, when I read that, I thought, huh? So I had to use my dictionary, and we all carry one, and look up that word, I found the following. Prodigal, comma, adjective. One, given to extravagant expenditures, expending money or other things without necessity, exceedingly or recklessly wasteful, not frugal or economical. Okay. I found the sun here. Two, 
profuse, extremely abundant. This could be what's left of the older brother's share. And three, extremely generous, lavish. And here I found the father. Just so you know, the younger son's request in verse 12 for his share of the inheritance was the ancient world's equivalent of telling the old man to drop dead. Or more nicely, dad, you are dead to me. And since in my mind you're dead, your last will and testament should kick in now. So I'll just take my share and leave. It's a truly awful thing this son did, and it makes him a particularly loathsome character. But that was just the point. In Jesus' triplet of stories here, we go from a lost sheep, which has some value, to a lost coin that was of significant monetary value, to a lost son, who, though once valued as a son, makes himself into a very grotesque and undesirable character. He'd be easy to write off. In fact, most people would write him off. Certainly the Pharisees who were hearing this papal, pa <laughs> parable did write him off. And as soon as they did, Jesus changed everything. Remember, these church leaders were grumbling, as our Bible version states, Grumbling about Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with them. I read another version which said that the Pharisees were muttering into their beards. Or if you are a fan of Mel Brooks, they were harumphing. I like the visualness of that statement. We also read that Jesus overheard their comments and knew their hearts and so told them the three stories that reveal the heart of God. And that's what's going on in Luke 15. We're not being given a story to encourage fathers to be forgiving of their naughty kids any more than the first two stories were in instructions to shepherds or a cautionary tale to take better care of your physical assets. No, all three reveal the heart of God. A heart that is not only broken in two by lostness, but a heart that also sings with joy as wide as the universe when even the silliest sheep or the dullest of coins or the meanest of children comes back and is found again. So knowing his audience, Jesus spins a tale aimed at those who knew that they deserved everything that had been handed to them or were entitled to it all. It's a timeless story. But they, or we, were about to find out that the kingdom of God wasn't much like life as they knew it. The younger son in real life would probably today have been told by a human father to suck it up and go back out to the fields to work. You think I'm dead? Have I got news for you. But the father in Jesus' tale loves the son so much that he will give him all that he asks for. And the young man lives happily ever after. No, wait, that's a different story. He takes his fortune and leaves town for Vegas, where he loses it all. 
Now reality sets in. However bad things may have been at home in his mind, they weren't anything like the horrors that he realized being penniless in a strange land. So we find a hungry Jewish boy slopping hogs and wishing, wishing that he could eat the stuff they were eating. He couldn't sink much lower. Now in the past, I have always liked the words in verse 17. He came to himself and looked on them like the son had an epiphany that changed his heart for good. But the more I studied this week, the more I convinced myself that he was still only looking out for number one. He's hungry and tending pigs. He can't yet get past thinking only of himself and how he can better his own situation. So he hatches a rather cynical plan to go home and use his father once again. If there is any real change in the boy, in my humble opinion, it does not occur here. Mick Jagger once sang, I can't get no satisfaction. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. Advertisers tell, tell us that we are just a bundle of appetites, and to not satisfy even one of those could be risky business for us. And many centuries ago, St. Jerome understood this. The sun could not be satisfied because pleasure always creates its own hunger. So many choices, but nothing really satisfies. Another quote I found comes from the Roman poet Ovid, describing his character King Erysichthon. In the midst of banquets, he searched for a meal. The young man searching for a meal took him home. And here is where the break with reality and the lesson about God's kingdom comes into play. The change in the young man didn't occur in the pigsty, but I think it happened on the road, still a ways from home, where he is swept off his feet by his father. He doesn't even get a real chance to repent. He can hardly get a word in edgewise before he is swept up by his father and treated to a party. On our own, we don't comprehend our own sinfulness. Only in the light of God's love do we understand the darkness of our souls. Jesus tells this story so that his hearers may be healed. Your craving can be satisfied. Your seeking is over. Even now, God is running towards you, lifting you, twirling you, hugging you, and saying, I love you. God is our Father. God is Father to the fatherless. He runs to receive us and throws us a party. Talk about joy. God does all that for us. But there's one more character that needs to be dealt with. And it isn't the fatted calf. I'm sorry. I'm talking about the older brother. Abraham Lincoln was once asked, 
what he would do with the Confederates once the Civil War was over. He said, I will treat them as if they had never gone away. Unfortunately, he was not around long enough to see how his dream was going to be perverted by carpetbaggers and others. We can find little sympathy for the older brother if we look again. We can find a little sympathy. <laughs> Here we go. We can find a little sympathy for the older brother if we look again at verse 11. So he divided his property among them. It wasn't that he gave the younger son a wad of cash and hung on to the rest for himself. He gave it all up to his two sons. So when the father kills the fatted calf and gives the boy sandals, a ring, and the best robe, whose stuff is that anyways? It belongs to the older son. That stuff is his. He deserves it. He has earned it. He has worked hard for it all his life. The father just takes from the older son who deserves all that is his and gives it to the brother who was lost. Most of us have worked hard. We've earned what we have. We've got a lot of good stuff and we deserve our stuff. It's our stuff. But Jesus is telling his hearers that they, that we, need to let go of what is rightly ours in order to restore that lost brother or sister. We need to part with what is ours, not just for them, but for our own joy. We need to part with our old ways to find our joy. Now, earlier this year, the church book clubs read Tattoos on the Heart by Father Gregory Boyle. His second book is entitled Barking to the Choir. Woof. <laughs> I liberated this copy from Barrett's office. In a chapter entitled The Good Journey, he writes... It is easily two hours before he needs to be at work. Yet Milton, just 18 years old, leaps into my office. It's too early in the day to have this much enthusiasm. I think I'm a rehabilitated gang member, he says excitedly. Do tell, I say, as I sip my coffee. Well, there I am on the bus today sitting next to a rich guy. And I'm thinking, how many rich guys in Los Angeles take the bus? But I let him continue. He's got this cell phone, a really expensive cell phone, and I'm scoping it out. And I'm thinking, my old self would wait for the next bus stop, grab the phone, and run off the bus. Well, this guy sees me admiring his phone, and just like that, he hands it to me. I couldn't believe it. He just handed me his cell phone. What did you do, I ask, realizing I am now leaning forward in my chair, utterly fascinated. Well, I checked it out. 
I handed it back and said, let me give you some advice. Don't hand your stuff to strangers. You don't know who they are. My old self would have run off this bus with your phone. But now, I'm a rehabilitated gang member because I work at Homeboy Industries. For all its somber tones and focus on Jesus' grim sacrifice and suffering, Luke chapter 15 reminds us of the joy of God. Who is the prodigal here? It's all of us. If we are like the younger son and become exceedingly or recklessly wasteful with our resources or our lives, we need to be reminded that there, that there is a loving Father who will rejoice over us and throw us a party when we return to him. And when we are in a position to forgive the wrongs that have been done to us by those who are lost, we must do so joyously, generously, lavishly. Is it an easy thing to do? Well, the answer is a resounding no. But no one ever said that life was easy. And it certainly wasn't easy for our Lord Jesus. As the writer to the Hebrews stated, Jesus endured the hell of the cross and all his sufferings, not because he was tough or merely bowing to the will of the Father. No, he endured it all for the joy that was set before him. That same joy awaits us. Father Boyle also wrote, Another homie, generally unable to filter his thoughts, met a stranger who had no legs. Unable to hold back, he looked at him and said, Whoa, how do you manage? The legless man just shrugged and said, I just keep moving. Father Boyle continued, that's pretty much it. We keep moving, walking forward on the good journey, finding moments of joy along the way until all those moments join together and usher in a life of happiness. So what we focus on and hope for in the meantime is a commitment to abide fully in our complete humanity we bring as much compassion and wakefulness to our own lived experiences. And we know that nothing human is ever abhorrent to God. Nothing human is ever abhorrent to God. Remember those seven words with joy as we sing our second hymn in a few seconds and the chorus, Here I am, Lord, comes up. Sing it loud. Or, like me, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Amen.